What's up, everybody? My name is Matt, and welcome to the Altered Podcast. I am joined uh, today by two guests. One is Daniel Hamilton, like usual, and we also have a special guest today who is uh, my brother and also my pastor, uh, Joshua Brown. But before we get to Josh, I'll start with you, Daniel, since uh, I know we kind of toss it over to each other um, for a quick little hello. How are you doing, Daniel? Doing great, man. I am fresh out of church, um, so feeling really good. Um, I'm a youth pastor, so I'm hyped up on uh, pizza and Mountain Dew right now, so I'm trying to keep it tame, keep it tame for the night, but we're doing good. Nice, nice. And this, the other guest, as I mentioned before, is my brother. Uh, just to kind of give you a little idea as to who he is, and I'll let him kind of share more too. Uh, he's the pastor of the church here that I go to, Dream Church in Columbia. Um, he has uh, a wife and a daughter, and uh, I'll let him kind of give the rest. I know that's probably not the the most descriptive intro, but I don't want to take away from his fire. So, Josh, uh, how are you doing? If you want to add anything to that, please feel free to do so. Yeah, awesome to be with you guys. Um, so, yeah, I have a wife and a, and a six-year-old daughter, and Matt's her uncle, obviously, so uh, she calls him Ummy for everybody, just to embarrass him a little bit. <laughs> um <laughs> But anyway, yeah, so we started the church um, five and a half years ago, and Matt was, has been there basically from the beginning. Um, uh, this is part of the story, so I might be jumping ahead, but uh, our first Sunday, me and Matt basically set up and tore down the entire church by ourselves, and that was our first service. Um, <laughs> and we did all the worship and the message and the whole thing. So, yep. um, so anyway, so it's it's. I like, I guess, technically by title in the pastor, but really it's like, it's definitely a team thing. Um, but right now I'm actually calling in from Michigan. So obviously you guys that listen to this know that the podcast, um, or from the podcast that Matt and the church and all that stuff is in South Carolina. Daniel's not in South Carolina, but, um, so normally I'm there, but right now I'm in Michigan at Western Theological Seminary, hanging out with some people here this week. And so, uh, tomorrow we get six inches of snow here. Which oh is, really? Yeah, completely opposite from the eighty degrees in Columbia that it'll be. <laughs> so, anyway, but yeah, and um, yeah, we just started a church that was just about one thing, and um, which was the presence of God, and then from that, everything else has uh, flown outward, flowed outward, I guess I should say, and um, yeah. So that's kind of the the intro, high and low of it. So, so Joshua, let me ask you, um, as someone who doesn't really know you or your story. How did you find out that pastoring was something that the Lord was drawing you to? Yeah, awesome. I, I never wanted to be a pastor, um, but uh, let, let me let me just give you a quick summary of my story because I don't want to take up too much time with this. Um, but it's I think go it, for it, man. it'll give context to everything. Because um, even when I say we do church about like one thing, the presence of God, I think a lot of people probably hear that and be like, "Well, duh." But I'm like, like no. Like that's really what we do and, um, and everything else comes from that. But, um, but anyway, so yeah, I, growing up, um, the church was kind of, so we grew up, all of us grew up in a very similar background, including Daniel, um, Pentecostal upbringing. Um, we all went to the same, a lot of the same youth camps, you know, et cetera. And, uh, but my rebellion, I guess you could say was to like modern, church mega church world as it's usually known as and um anyway and i uh, to be honest with you and it sounds awful but like looking back now i saw it as my vehicle to become what i wanted to become which ultimately was 
somebody that a lot of people admired. Um, and I, I think underneath that was just this longing to be accepted, but it, but it had, it had morphed into not just to be accepted a bit, but to be accepted by a lot of people, as many people as possible. So worship yeah. leading led, uh, it was the vehicle to which I, I realized I could easily attain that. And so, um, so anyway, so long story short, ended up at a really, really, really large um, church leading worship. And a few years into that, it was there. I, I kind of just in the middle of the service, as I'm singing, having this conversation with the Lord in my head, and I'm like, there's got, there has to be more. Like, this can't just be it. This can't be it. We've made it to the mountaintop, so to speak. And it's like, that's it. You, you know what I'm saying? Um, almost like you're climbing Mount Everest and then you get there, but then it's like nothing. You know, you're not a thousand feet or whatever, 10,000 feet, however many thousands of feet above the ground. You're like on a hill and you're looking around and you're like, so that that's it. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. And so anyway, so so I was like, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I got to figure out who I am because I don't even know who I am. And um, and so the next morning I started just waking up at 4 a.m. spending hours every day. I still do this to this day. Um, this was six years ago, seven years ago um, with the Lord. And just like I've got to figure out what this is. And in that process, I began to think, is it possible to have a church that is that literally the longing of the church is more of God? And that's it. You know, and when we lift him up, he begins to draw all men unto himself and let him add to his number daily and, you know, et cetera. And, uh, and so we realized there wasn't a space that conducive of that in our city. And it's not a knock on anybody. And uh, so that's when we started the church. So that, so I think the journey into pastoring was more of a um, wanting to create a space for people to become, this is what we say, to become wild again, um, to, to let go of like all this domesticated kind of religious Christianity and just to be free. And, um, yeah. and so in that, that was my intro into pastoring. And now I'm kind of like adding all the theological, so to speak, legs to it. Um, now that we are in that space so sure. that we can, you know, cultivate it for forever, you know? So anyway, that was a really long answer, but maybe that'll give some context to some other stuff. Yeah. Well, I'll say too. And, you know, for those who don't know Josh, um, he is incredibly humble, a lot more humble than I would be if I had attained some of the stuff that he attained. Um, I, I can say as someone, maybe I'm a little biased because I'm his brother, but uh, from watching from the third person and seeing things happen from a distance, um, it I don't think people understand the sacrifice that that Josh went through because he, when I like when he said a big church, I mean it it was the fastest growing church in America at the time. Um, and I think it still is one of the top and, you know, he could have easily made his up, made his way to the main stage and did everything. Um, but he sacrificed it all truly for the one thing, the, the presence of God, because, and, and you know, people look at numerical values. I think that, especially now that I'm in it, like seeing the attendance numbers is kind of silly. Um, but a lot of people may look at what we do and be like, man, you guys, don't seem I mean, you really did give it up like give up all of it because y'all ain't got a whole lot but the reality and I, I've, I've said this on the podcast multiple times that I don't think I've ever met a group of people like the people at our church who were just so passionate about pursuing Jesus and that being enough uh, it, you just don't see that often yeah. um, but that said uh, one of the things that I know that um, just from knowing you especially over the last few years 
uh, that you've been super passionate about is the idea of beloved identity. Uh, it's something that we talk about quite a bit at our church. But for those who may not have heard you speak or don't know you or anything like that, what sparked your passion for beloved identity and why is it so important that image bearers understand who they are in Jesus? Yeah, I'm, there's a lot of legs to it, but that's, that, that is everything. Um, that, so I, it's definitely not me. I would love to say um, I originated that message or idea, but I definitely did not. Um, other people such as uh, Damon Thompson, who I quote a lot, all of us quote a lot, amazing guy. Um, but then there's other people like, you know, from, from different movements and all throughout history that have labeled this in a bunch of different ways. And, um, but really it's, it's, it's the, the idea that like, you're not a sum of what you do. Um, who you are is determined by God. And then whatever flows out from that is fruit. Um, but your identity is a, it's a solidified truth apart from your works. And I think a lot of people listening to this would be like, well, yeah, of course, you know, that makes sense. But uh, most of our um, Christianity today, especially in America, is is sort of a pseudo Buddhism uh, karma, where essentially like you do good, you get good, you do bad, you get bad, and that's Christianity. And um, so, because you'll hear you'll hear hear people all the time that are like, you know, well, I, I do good, like I do a lot of good things, and therefore the Lord is pleased with me or whatever. And right. so, beloved identity head and instead says um the lord is pleased with you now what do we do rather than this is what we have done so is the lord pleased with us um which of course is scriptural you know while we were still sinners christ died for us this is how we know what love is he loved us first Mm -hmm. You, you know what i'm saying where sin was increasing grace was increasing more and um right you know, he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteous. I mean, you could go on and on and on. And um, yeah, so so the, the message that that is our main, it's the one thing that, I mean, that's it. But beloved identity is like, you are loved. Your identity is in Christ. That's, that, that is incarnation. You know, the word became flesh. He, he took your identity and, and placed it in God through the incarnation. And so, so that's solidified. Now, what do we do? And then what you do doesn't become something that you measure your identity by. What you do is something that you almost leverage your identity into. You know what I'm saying? And so, and and there's so much good work that you can do uh, once you have your identity secured because there's no fear of failure. There's no fear of rejection. There's no fear of not being enough, et cetera, et cetera, because all of that's been determined. Um, so, so, uh, in a, in a really short way of, of saying it, that's, that is this beloved identity thing that we talk about a lot. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, I want to kind of change the direction just a, a bit here. Uh, and I kind of have like a two part question for you and it's kind of relating to pastoral ministry. And the first question in this two part question is what would you say to someone who thinks that they might have a calling on their life to be a pastor? Oh man, that's amazing. I was actually, we were just having this conversation earlier today uh, with somebody that wants to start a church and he asked the same thing. Um, I would say as, as quick and as often as you can, 
hide yourself in the secret place. And when I say secret place, mm-hmm. I mean, the, wh- how, wherever you spend time with the Lord, bury yourself in that. And then whatever happens outside of that, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. It doesn't matter how big or small. Um, but you, you, it is dangerous to do any kind of ministry that is divorced from what well, was, it goes back to beloved identity. You know, that, that is, yeah. because once you start moving into ministry, that is apart from a secret place, then suddenly your whole identity becomes about what you're doing in ministry. That's what we see a lot of in, in pastors today. That's why pastors quit is they're burned mm-hmm. out and they're tired. But the reason they're burned out and tired is because they've shifted from overflowing what is filling them in the secret place to trying to pour out into people what they're not full of. And you, man, you, you do mm. that. You, you, once you start doing that, it's only a matter of time before you get so dry that you're just like, I can't pour out anymore. And that's, that is the definition of burnout. So, yeah. So I would say get in the secret place. And then number two, I would say, go find a spiritual father. Um, and when I say spiritual father, I mean somebody who is going to make sure you do not move from being rooted in the secret place and just submit yourself to them in every way shape or form even if they say things that you don't necessarily agree with or that make you uncomfortable get rooted with somebody who's going to make sure that your life remains about um the main thing which is the presence of the lord yeah now that's awesome so um my next question which kind of flows into that and kind of takes a different avenue but how do you even know if you're called to pastoring? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an amazing question. Uh, I forget who said this. Um, it was somebody and man, now I'm wishing I remember this. So if anybody listening to this knows this quote, please correct me on who's saying it, but we'll just I've give you credit, it. man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your I, name I on thought it. it was, <laughs> thought it was Eugene Peterson. So it could be, but I, it could be wrong. But anyway, uh, and, and the quote is, and I'm butchering it, but basically, your, your calling is where your, um, your passions and uh, basically what you see as a need in the world collide. And, um, and so, so for pastoring, for example, like for us, the reason we started, the reason I felt called to pastoring after all these years of never wanting to pastor was because I saw a need and that need was um, a lack of space for the presence of God to feel. So that was the need. And then the, the gifting that I had or the, you know, I guess, yeah, the giftings, I guess that's the right word. Um, the gifting that I had was uh, I was just rogue enough to be able to rub up against all the religion that needed to be rubbed up against to create that space. Yeah, um, gotcha. And you know what I'm saying? And so, uh, and it wasn't even the knowledge, even though, of course, like we meet Matt knows way more than I do about the Bible. So he's, he's, you know, the brainiac of it, but, um, but anyway, but it's, it's I feel yeah, but it's like, um, it's not just knowledge, you know, it's not just like, even now in seminary, um, it, it's not about, there's, there's a reason why people call it cemetery, you know, so often <laughs> it's because like seminaries usually where callings go to die because it becomes so about knowledge that it, 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 again, it divorces itself from the main thing. And, um, and so that's why I say like, man, if, if you see a place, particularly as a pastor, if you see a, a culture or a group of people or whatever, 
um, that the Lord is, is revealing to you and you'll know it because you'll, you'll see it like it'll be burning on the inside of you. You just know it um, but that, you know, needs that space for what we would call a church. Um, and then you look at your gifting and you realize you're the one that's willing to pay the price to create that space. Then suddenly you, you, you found yourself called to that. Um, and then the question becomes, uh, you know, all of us that are Christians are called to lose our lives to find it. Yeah. And um, and so then the question beyond that becomes, are you willing to pay the mm. price in order to do that? Because, I mean, Matt knows and Daniel, you're in ministry, too. So, you know, this, too, especially coming out of covid and all this other stuff that we've gone through. But like there is a lot of rejection that happens, yeah. especially if you're doing something against the norm. Yep. Um, like we're doing. And um, and so when that comes, you have to know that you know that you know that you're called to it or else you will absolutely quit. I mean, you know what I mean? Yep. It's like it is not easy. But if you know you're called to it and you've paid the price for it, then I mean, there's literally nothing that the Lord won't do, won't do through it. So anyway, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so kind of stemming from that, because I know that, I mean, you just mentioned, uh, and this is actually pretty good timing with you being um, in Michigan right now. So for the pastor who is developing their gift, let's say that they, you know, are making plans to start a church, or maybe they're actually currently pastoring, or maybe it's just someone who's uh, teaching even a small group. I mean, it could be anybody who's leading in some area of teaching. How do you balance the tension of learning like good, solid theology from those who came before us and creating space for the Holy Spirit to lead you in what you believe? Like, how do you balance that tension to make sure you don't get too much of either side? Uh, that, that's a good question. I wish I knew. Um, <laughs> uh, that's fair. But I am learning. No, I, I think so. So it depends on how you grew up for for us, we all grew up in the Bible Belt. Daniel, you grew up in the Bible Belt, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. That's that's what I thought. Um, so we grew up in the Bible Belt. So we inherited a lot of, uh, and I want to be careful because I, I don't like, you know, just dogging anything. But we inherited a lot of um, uh, things that were considered solidified theological ideas. And, um, and some of those were great. Uh, a lot of those were, uh, they needed to be worked on. And, um, and so, so I, the way I look at it is like, I think our parents and our parents, parents, et cetera, I think they probably did the best with what they had to work with. Um, you gotta remember like most of them didn't have the internet. They didn't have podcasts. They didn't have iPhones, you know? And so, I think with with what they had to work with, I really do believe they did the best that they could diligently with what they had. Um, however, we've been blessed in our generation to have access to a lot of just different resources, different you know avenues, and um, and so I think the way that we do that is like honor what has come before us. And, and I mean, one of the ways that we honor that is not just like throwing it in the garbage, even if it's wrong. It's like you can carry that with a level of honor and still move into correcting some ideas. Um, I don't do that perfectly at all. So I'm speaking to the choir, but, um, but at the same time, you have to also have this flexibility, I think with the Holy spirit 
Um, and with scholarship, like scholars, the church likes to throw scholarship away as if it's like you can't have be led by the spirit and by knowledge at the same time. Yeah. Ironically, the spirit's called the spirit of wisdom a lot. Yeah. And um, yeah. and so so I think you have to have both. So this the Holy Spirit comes in and that gives you almost an avenue for a greater knowledge and knowledge comes in and that becomes a greater avenue for a deeper experience of the spirit. And that's how it's supposed to work back and forth. And so, you know, so for, for us as pastors or church leaders or whatever context you're in, um, it's just be, be being daring enough to honor what you have, but then not hold it so close fisted that when something that when the Lord comes to tweak something or to tighten up something, you're completely turned off to it. Uh, that's, that's how we got, Protestant. I mean, every church that most people listening to this um, go to are Protestant churches. And those churches would not exist had Martin Luther not nailed the 99 Theses to the Catholic door church in Wittenberg. Yeah. And um, you know what I'm saying? And so it was like, and, and those were things that that generation held tried and true and closed fisted. And you do not question this. And Martin Luther's reading, you know, Romans. And he's like, actually, I, I don't think this is the case. You know, I think faith is what leads you to salvation and grace. And, um, and thank God he did. Cause all of us are part of churches that are a result of that. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, so yeah, I think you have to have both a flexibility, but you also have to have an honor for like where we come because we wouldn't be in what we are in right now. Had it not been for those that came before us, even if what they believed is a little off at this point, you know, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I love what you said, because me and Matt, we've talked about it before, and I'll be the first one to admit, I can be extremely critical sometimes about some of the things that I've experienced in the Bible Belt growing up. And um, it's not that I, I don't know, I, I like there's certain times in my life where my patience on some things kind of runs thin because I just get so tired of hearing stories or instances of this certain thing happen. Um, but honestly, you, you said something that really got me thinking like they did the best they could with what they had. And that puts into perspective and um, on, like that, that encouraged me to kind of look for f- find myself in places where I can give that space of grace where, you know what, I can still honor you and disagree to a certain extent. Um, so I, I love what you said, ma'am. Um, kind of switch up just, just for a second. What do your spiritual disciplines look like each day? And I'm curious because me and Matt, we've talked about this, just kind of like what our day looks like uh, going throughout it. So I'm curious what yours will look like on any given day. It's definitely changed um, lately. Uh, I've kind of been in a contemplative season. I'll explain what that is for those that don't know that. Um, essentially, uh, this is a really deep topic, but to boil it down, um, Contemplative prayer, contemplative, the word comes from contemplation. It's the same idea, um, to think deeply. Really, it's prayer that you're just to be quiet. And um, mm-hmm. and so so lately, it's like I, I love studying the Bible. Uh, uh, Professor Chuck DeGroat, I, I got to have lunch with him today. You, Everybody listening to this should look him up. He is a brilliant mind with the interior life in Christianity right now. Um, but anyway, I had lunch with him today. And we were talking about like hobbies and I said, I'm gonna be honest with you, it's super nerdy, but like my hobby is like studying the Bible. Like I just, I love it. Yeah. And, um, and so I know that's super weird, but that's just it. But anyway, so I study the Bible and then what I had been doing was spending just 
however long, basically until my daughter wakes up um, in prayer and worship, you know, so I might throw in some music. I might, you know, pray without it, with it. Lately I've been studying the Bible and then I shut everything down and just sit and quiet. And I've been practicing this thing, this kind of an ancient idea called the Jesus prayer. Um, but it's essentially where you, you take a phrase. It might be, you know, a scripture. The, the best thing to do is to take maybe like a short phrase, like the Lord sees me or um, I am yours or, or you know, a biblical truth, but boiled down to a few phrases. And then just repeat those in your mind uh, over and over and over. Because if you sit in prayer, a lot of people, you know, bail on prayer really early because they get bored or their mind starts wondering or whatever. And so all the contemplatives in the past, they would use this with what they call Jesus prayer and uh, to focus their mind. And the whole point of contemplative prayer is to turn inward to find Christ, you know, within. And because um, so often we look for Christ outside of ourselves. When St. Augustine, this is his famous quote, he says, uh, he says, I was searching for Christ everywhere, but I was shocked to find that he was within me. And uh, mm -hmm. or, or I think the exact quote is uh, Christ was within me, but I was outside of myself. And um, yeah. wow. and so anyway, so a lot of my and I don't agree with necessarily all of St. Augustine, but I do like that quote. But um, but anyway, yeah, so it's been turning inward because and, and it, essentially it's been solidifying beloved identity. But um, and just and just seeing the Lord, not even going into prayer to receive anything, not receive a big revelation, not. It's just to simply just to gaze. Uh, and it's the Psalm 27. Like one thing I desire, this shall I seek to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, to gaze upon the beauty of your countenance and inquire in your temple. And so lately that's been a lot of it. And I, what I've found is a lot of my, the prayers that I feel like I need to pray get answered in the, in that gaze, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And, yeah, um, sure. and so, but then on the flip side, you, you have such a trust in that to ask for things with full faith once you come out of this encounter where you're gazing. And so lately that's what it's looked like Bible study. And then a lot of contemplative prayer, um, worship as well, but it's, it's lately been a lot of contemplative prayer. So, um, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That reminds me of, um, I heard a teaching. I, I don't remember where I heard it from. It, it was a, a monk who had said essentially how he got to a place where he was focused on God in this place of contemplative prayer. And he described it as having a handful of balloons, like holding all of them in one hand by one string. And as you're processing these thoughts and as you're praying, you're letting go of one balloon at a time until you get down to the last balloon. And that last balloon is the thing that's actually going to lead you into that gazing or into that deeper level. Um, and it was so good. I, I love that. Um, but uh, so let me ask you this as kind of a um, little bit of a shift here, um, but it may tie in somehow uh, a little bit too. Uh, who are some, so we, we mentioned earlier some, um, some, uh, some people that, you know, that you looked up to in terms of pastoring. You mentioned Damon Thompson and stuff, but on a personal level, who are some teachers, mentors, or spiritual fathers who have helped lead you where you are both mentally and spiritually? Yeah. So lately, um, the, the guy I mentioned earlier, Chuck DeGroat has been one of those. Um, to be honest with you, I didn't, we never heard a lot about contemplative prayer growing up. Actually, I don't even know if we ever heard about it. 
Yeah. And um and that's all he has been talking about for weeks now. So um anyway, so he's been a huge one lately. Um and then honestly from a distance, like a, a guy by the name of Wesley Hill, who uh is a professor of New Testament, has been super impactful on me. Um and but uh, personally, uh there's a guy by the name of Lee McDermott who is a uh he's had so many roles, I honestly don't remember <laughs> what role he has right now. Um, anyway, but he's at the church I was at before. And, uh, and that's the cool thing is like, I still have a lot of relationships with people that uh, at the church I was at before. Uh, and that's been really cool too. I mean, in fact, two of the pastors there are on our board. And so, um, so anyway, but he's been a huge impact for me, especially in seasons when I wanted to, uh, I don't want to say I wanted to quit. There was the temptation to quit during COVID especially. And, um, would I have ever quit? Definitely not. But, but there was this thought and, um, and his voice would come in and I, I've been walking with him since 2013. So what year is this? 20, so almost 10 years. Yeah. And, um, and so his, his constant voice, uh, just to remind me like why I started this, um, while we're here, you know, et cetera, et cetera, has been, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I would be where I am today without that. So, so there's a lot of like scholarly, you know, voices that have helped shape things, but spiritually, which is way more important. Um, he's definitely been one of the main sources of that, uh, for me. He's when I say my, when I usually, when I say my spiritual father, that's who I'm talking about. So, um, yeah. Joshua, you mentioned earlier, and this is something that's near and dear to my heart. Um, it just because if you have been in a, a smaller church, especially in my denomination, the Church of God, sometimes it's <laughs> you kind of fall into this uh, slippery slope of being someone who is paid staff at a small church and you're required to do a lot of things. And it's easy to let the spiritual side of ministry or for yourself to kind of slip a little bit. Um, so when it comes to burnout, what do you say to people who are already burned out on pastoring and ministry? And what would you recommend they do to try to get through that season of their life? That's a tough question because it's like, for example, it's easy for me to uh, make the necessary choices to get out of burnout when I'm the leader. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, that's easy. But when you're in a church or uh, a lot of people like to call it organization now, I, I'm not going to call it that church. <laughs> um, you know, it's a church, just call it what it is. But um but anyway, when you're in a church that the environment isn't necessarily conducive to that, because man, let's just be real, like uh, a lot of the denominations, especially the older ones, like, you know, Church of God, Baptist, uh, the mindset for so long has been power through, push through, get over it. Or typically for us growing up, um, if you have faith, you won't feel that, uh, <laughs> you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and so it, it's, it's hard in that case because you're facing things that um, sometimes your leaders aren't necessarily too concerned about. And so you don't have a lot of opportunity in that. So it's a much bigger deal because really, even though it sounds like a individual situation, this question is really more of a general church uh, culture question. And, uh, and it's like, man, we, because it's so multifaceted, so many churches now are built on how fast do we grow? How many numbers, you know, 
But in order to achieve those goals, people have to be going a million miles an hour. I mean, that's, that's why people that work at Google and Apple and Microsoft work, you know, 90 hours a week. It's cause like right. they're selling phones out the wazoo. Somebody has got to make them. And, um, and so, but it's the same with church. It's like when we're so focused on numerical, um, statistical growth, 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 of course people are going to run out because the church wasn't designed to be focused on that. It was designed to be focused on spiritual growth. And when you grow spiritually, of course, the Lord will begin to add to your number daily. So when you're in that environment, like let's say somebody's listening to this and they work for a church or they volunteer at a church that they feel like they're burned out. But if they go to somebody, they feel like they're basically going to be ignored or tell them to get over it or whatever the case may be. Like, unfortunately, there's going to have to be probably some difficult decisions about where you're rooted. Um, I was thinking about this and I'm sorry to take too long on this question, but it is a huge no, totally important good. question. Uh, Monday, I, we were talking, we had a conversation about Psalm one by the tree planted by streams of living water bearing fruit in every season. And I had this mm-hmm. thought as we, as we were studying it in the Hebrew, especially, but um, as we were studying it, where you are planted, you could be the right tree. Like you could be the right tree or in other words, to, to, not speak so like you know pastoral uh you could have all the gifting in the world uh, you could have the right training you have the right um knowledge of scripture you could even have the a good secret place but but if you're not planted in the right place no matter mm, how yeah. good the tree is ultimately at some point the tree's going to die and um and so we sometimes we get really focused on the tree when it's it's not necessarily the tree it's where the tree is planted so to even flip that you could be a halfway good tree but if you're planted by streams of living water those streams will begin to transform you into a full-grown healthy tree that bears fruit in every season so in the season like in winter for example for us and i know this is totally taken a little bit out of context because you know where this was written didn't have the same seasons as we do but Mm -hmm. even for us like in winter you know trees die and grass dies and all this other stuff but if you think about this even in that context what this is saying is when everybody else around you is dying because of their distance from the stream your leaves will never wither and it's not because you're working super hard or because you've done great ministry this week it's simply because of where you're planted and that's it it's effortless. Yeah. And so I, I think with this question, the bigger issue is not like, what do I do to get out of burnout? I, the, the, the question I would ask is, where are you planted? Um, mm. Where are you rooted? And that's a difficult question. Some, for some people, that's like now asking for their job. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, so I totally, I say that with a lot of caution because I, like, I know, I get it. Um, but, but at some point, you, like, you have to make these decisions in life and trust. Like, if you get yourself planted by streams of living water, you're going to bear fruit in every seed, including whatever provision is needed in order to get you to streams of living water. So, yeah, I, I know that kind of take, takes a different, I don't know, avenue to the answer. But um, that is something so huge that no one talks about in these leadership talks. You know, we all talk about, like, you know, read more, get with leaders, you know, be, have a dream, have a goal, have a five-year plan. And at no point does anybody sit and say, are, 
Like, are you rooted in streams of living water? And unfortunately, and th again, this isn't a knock, 90, and this is liberal, 95% of people who call themselves Christians are not planted by good streams of living water. Yeah. And, yeah. and then we wonder why the church is declining and trees are dying, you know? And so, and then of course, our answer to that is bigger and better and more. And it's like, have, has anybody checked the dried up stream? Um, yeah, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So, uh, so anyway, yeah. Yeah, I think about, too, all of the, um, you know, one of the things, I mean, all of us were in it when church camp and, and youth conferences, uh, you know, when they talk about things like ministry, uh, at the time we were growing up, everybody was all for it. They're like, yes, I want to do this thing. But I feel like <laughs> now that people are, for one, have more access to, like you said, like we have more access than we ever had to information. There's no excuse why you shouldn't know um, at least, you know, some things about the Bible because it's literally one Google search away. Um, but uh, I say that to say, I feel like now you have a large sum of people that, uh, especially the generation that that's, you know, us and the generation before us, I hear a lot of people asking questions. Why does nobody want to serve in ministry anymore? Uh, why does nobody want to quote unquote take up this calling? Uh, and man, that's, that's, I've, that's a great answer because all I heard and all of us heard is, you know, if you just make sure that you start doing better things or prioritizing the right things, then maybe you'll, you'll find yourself not burn out when the, the moment that you start saying, if you do, then that's kind of the moment where everything seems to fall apart. So I, yeah, I love that. Um, yeah. Well, real quick too. Yeah. On that, like, cause th I mean, this is a huge deal because most ministers, I mean, Lord, I've experienced this, um, have, have experienced burnout. Most of them are burned out and are just like barely scraping by. I, I, there was a statistic that came out in uh, December. And I forget who, who came out with this. It might have been Christianity Today, but I'm not sure. But there was a st statistic that came out that said um, 80, I think it was 86% of pastors, um, if there was a way out, they would take it of ministry. In other words, if somebody offered them a job where they would make the same amount of money that wasn't in ministry, they would immediately take it. Yeah. And, um, and it's because of this. And so tonight I had a, we, we had a, a meeting about generosity, which uh, amazing, but there's, Lord, we do so much of this churchy stuff that, you know, and, um, and so anyway, so we had, there was these two like billionaires, um, that go to a church here in town in Michigan that met and essentially we're, we're trying to teach all these, you know, pastors and theologians and all this stuff, how to, um, essentially raise money for your ministry. And so they're, you know, they're going through this whole thing. Well, well, after it was over, I had this conversation because part of the conversation with them was, you know, uh, when we, when we give to a church, we're looking for a return on investment. So I'm like, okay, what, what do you, what do you see as a return on investment? And, and of course they start throwing out, you know, salvation and did the church go from 300 to 500 and stuff like that. <laughs> so me being me, you know, of course, uh, I was just like, Oh, that's, you know, are you talking about your tithe? Or are you talking about like, you know, above and beyond that? Or, you know, what you're talking about? And they're like, Oh, you know, all of it. And I was like, okay, hold on. Just one second. And, but again, it's another realization. And so essentially what they're saying is as, as big givers who fund, a majority of churches, you know, are funded by big givers. That's just, you know, how it is. And um, they're say essentially saying like, 
that. We want the pastor to prove to us that his church is worthy of our tithe. And, mm. and so I'm like, so the pastor is now a slave what you believe is a return on investment. I was like, for, for me, tithing, my return on investment is presence. You yeah. can't measure presence. Yep. Um, I don't, I don't give, I don't give to organizations cause they had a thousand people show up on Sunday. I give to access presence. I don't care what they do with my money. And you know what I'm saying? It's like, I, I'm, I'm not giving because of what I believe, because of the mission. Now, sure. People can give to the mission. That's amazing. But the, but the reason I give is to unlock a measure of presence, not even extra provision. You know what I'm saying? Like everything I do is this is provision. And I was like, so, so at our church, we don't tell people to give because of, because they buy into our vision, even though they probably do. We tell them to give because they are giving unto the Lord. And so they're only given to our church as the vehicle to give to the Lord. And um, but but it just it revealed to me just the, this this layer of when you're talking about burnout, uh, there's an expectation of pastors to produce and to do this and to make a difference and to innovate and to strive. And it's like all that sounds good. The problem is none of that is in the New Testament in a description of what a pastor is. Yeah. And or a church, you know what I'm saying? It's like the, the church is the it's the it's the new temple. It's the place where the spirit dwells. And so people come to the church to experience the spirit that is there where two or more are gathered, not come to buy into some vision. I mean, if that's the case, go to the YMCA, you know, what I'm or whatever, you know, like Salvation Army. They're a great organization. Yeah, this is not that. though. This, this is the present. And, and when everything is oriented around the presence when everything's oriented around the one thing suddenly people don't get as burned out because it's not about what we can do or how big we can get or how fast we can go or how much we can do it's just simply about abiding abide in me as i abide in you you know what i mean and if you need to bear more fruit guess what i'll trim your branches to bear more fruit you just need to keep abiding yeah and um and so, so anyway, yeah, so I think that's, there, there's just, I'm really passionate about this because we don't have any conversations about this. And this is probably the main issue in the church. Yeah. It's, it's that we have essentially said, we don't need the presence. We have an organization. And then we wonder why the organization that is supposed to run off of presence is failing. You know what I'm saying? Um, so anyway, sorry, I got real passionate about that. I just... No, it's good. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of it. Yeah, so I mean, and I've noticed too, like, and and this is, and I know that all of us can attest to this. This is especially prominent in the Bible Belt. Is when there's a pastor, like you mentioned that statistic earlier of pastors, if they had an opportunity to leave, they would. That uh, when they decide to actually do that, uh, the thing that that we like to lean into, especially as people who love social media and love seeing things and making things really dramatic. Um, to make a big story about how this person is running from God, falling away, when in reality they're actually running to God, but they're just leaving a position. And I think that a lot of times we put mm-hmm. so much stake in the position, that, but not enough stake into the presence part. And that's what causes yeah. so many people to to be falling away. But yeah, it's, that's so good. Um, so I'll shift gears here mostly for the sake of time. I know we could probably talk about that for the next three hours. 
Um, but one of the things that, that I know for me personally, and I'm sure a lot of people at Dream can attest to this, um, whenever you're teaching, you, you seem to lean a lot into generational legacy. Uh, you mentioned a lot of uh, things with your daughter, and, uh, and it, it's one of the things that you say um, that, that honestly has been sticking with me for years now is that you know she will never have to know what it's like to be bound by the things that we were bound by in religion and and this whole thing we've been talking about this whole time uh, same thing with you know our sister and brothers they don't have to worry about ever knowing what it was like to be bound by the system so my question is uh how important is generational legacy and why is it so important uh i think it's the most important thing um and well outside of of course the presence of god but like if you're looking at why you're doing something um really it's a, like your perspective and um and so so bill johnson tells this story and i know people i love bill johnson but you know i know people have different views or whatever um that's great so um so anyway but i i think it's great um he tells this story about a monarch butterfly and so for those of you that don't know about the monarch butterfly because I did not the story because many of us don't study monarch but butterflies. Um, <laughs> the monarch butterfly every year migrates from Mexico to Canada. And then at some point it makes the trip back. And so migrates back. And, um, but the, the interesting thing about it is it takes four generations of that butterfly to make it to its destination. So in other words, um, when the butterfly, monarch butterflies leave, you know, Mexico, it takes four generations of them to finally make it to Canada. So essentially three generations set out on a journey, knowing that they will not make it to the destination, but also knowing that their progress is required for that fourth generation to see what they started. And, um, and man, that, I think that has really, I mean, absolutely changed my life because in the church we get so caught up and not to, yeah, not to make anything out of this, but, uh, rap, the rapture, you know, happening tomorrow that, um, we, everything we do is now and we don't have tomorrow. So we need, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, right. but people have been saying this for hundreds of years. No, well, I take that back. Rapture is pretty new. So uh, 200 years. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> so, um, anyway, so, so for a couple hundred years, people have been saying, you know, he's coming back in the morning. Well, he didn't come back in the morning. And now we have multiple generations who didn't make it to the destination because the other generations sat at home thinking he's coming back in the morning. And, um, and so it's like, no, like, what if we set out on that journey with this, with the mindset of like, what if we do have 500 years? What if we have 5,000 years yeah, or whatever the case may be? Um, if that's the case, what are we doing today to make sure in 500 years, they're in a greater measure of presence for us. That's, that's the main thing, a greater measure than what we are in. Yeah. And so anyway, so I, I think the generational legacy, especially like like the one thing lacking in, in America, at least that's all I can speak to is like present fathers. That is the I mean, I feel like a good, good 
But a good present father in every home would probably solve almost all of our issues in America. And, um, and so like for me, everything that I do, quote unquote, in ministry, um, if, if I'm not first like a good dad, and if I'm not first like, you know, loving my family and, you know, taking care of them, et cetera, then like what I do in ministry doesn't matter. But here's the catch. The catch is my time and energy and passion toward my family first before ministry, a lot less ministry is going to, you know, quote unquote, get done. And so, you know, so you have like, you have to believe that my daughter is going to carry something that is much greater than I carry because I've been taking a journey that I know I might not see the end of, like I might not Mm -hmm. see the complete fulfillment of everything God has promised me but my great, great, great grandkids will. And it's like, bro, that takes a lot of humility, but it also takes a lot of just knowing who you are, knowing why you're doing it to aim at, you know, this, this generational legacy, what we call it. Um, And so I think the way that you do that though, I think that was the other question. Is that the right, what the the second part of it was? Yeah. 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 I think the way that you do that is, is just not being afraid to do things or say things or stand for things that you might get rejected for now, but that are required for five generations from now to inherit a measure of glory that we don't have. Yeah. And, um, you know, you know what I mean? Like it, it's so easy for us in ministry to say things or to preach things that like people or that are palatable to people now. Right. Um, but a lot of those things, J- Damon Thompson says this, he says one generation's compromise is the next generation's captivity. And so, so we might turn one degree to the right or one degree to the left, but in five generations, that one degree is going to be 45 degrees. Yeah. And so it's like, we, we got to make the decisions, even if it costs us people and influence and all the other stuff to stay on true North at whatever the cost, because there's coming a day when our great, great grandkids are going to inherit something because of that. They're going to reach the destination because we made the decision to take a journey that we wouldn't see the end of. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So, so anyway, yeah, that's always been a really amazing story. Yeah, man, I love what you said. Um, so what would you say to Christians who may see the current state of the church as harmful or uh, maybe even toxic and are thinking about leaving altogether? Uh, I, would, I would say I agree. Um, <laughs> but, but I say that cautiously. Um, it, it's so hard because like 90% of me feels like a Martin Luther type thing where it's just like, it's gotta, it's gotta all come down, you know, type, type thing. But then the other part of me loves the church, you know? And so I'm just like, it doesn't have to be like that. Um, right. We, we can make the change. So uh, a lot of people are leaving church right now because of like, you know, deconstruction. I, I don't know. Y'all probably done a podcast about that. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> But, um, and I, even to those people, I would say me too. Like, you know, we, that's, that is part of the Christian faith. I mean, even if you read the early church fathers, my, my favorite example is for us, the divinity of Jesus is like a no brainer. I mean, like that's, everybody agrees on that. Even Catholics, you know, Yep. and, um, everybody agrees on it. Well, during the time of Athanasius, St. Athanasius, um, that was not the popular belief. Arianism was, 
which Arianism is the belief that Jesus was created by God and he was really good, but he wasn't divine. And, um, and so St. Athanasius, who we love, my favorite church father by far, um, St. Athanasius spends, spends his entire life fighting for the divinity of Jesus. And that's where we get his writing, um, the incarnation of the son of God, which, oh my Lord, if, if you haven't read that, um, on the incarnation, that's what it's called actually. Yep. Uh, unreal. It's super short, but unreal. And, uh, so anyway, so he spends his entire life defending the divinity of Jesus. And when he dies, no one necessarily cares. Some people do, but he dies not. And this goes back to the generational legacy stuff. But but no, he dies with no one buying into this. It's not until after his death that the church begins to pick this thing up and eventually deems Arianism as heretical and um, mm. and adopts. Because if Jesus isn't divine, then there is no Trinity either. And so it's, it's really those two things are kind of hand in hand. So he fought for the divinity of Jesus, but really he was also fighting for the Trinity. Yeah. And um, yeah. And so anyway, so that's an example, again, where like back in that time, there's a lot of people that maybe that, that believe Jesus was divine would say, what do we do with a church that doesn't believe this? You know, it's so that it can be very similar with a lot of people that are deconstructing or see things as toxic as far as like just cultures. There's unfortunately a lot of people that have thrown the baby out with the bathwater because there have been so many scandals and especially in mega world. And, but even in, you know, Catholic world and all that stuff, there's been scandals and abuses and, you know, and so it's totally understandable. Um, I would just say to anybody listening to, to this that uh, is that's the reason for running from the church. Um, please don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Not everyone is like that. Not every organization and church is like that. But yeah, so I would say I would totally agree with a lot of the reasons people are leaving the church, which is why we have tried to create the space where people like that can come home. Yeah, and, um, for sure. And because I tell people this all the time, a lot of the quote unquote Jesus that people are rejecting, I've rejected too. And, um, mm. you know, and I'm a pastor and it's like, you know, people say, well, I just can't believe in a God who is, who is so angry and wrathful and blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, me neither. And neither did any of the early church. And you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's like, yeah, but why, why was I taught that? Like, I, I don't know, but <laughs> I'm just telling you, you know, so, um, but again, all of this goes back to like what we talked about earlier, where you're rooted. Because again, what you're saying is, is, you know, a lot of people are fleeing the church. Those are all symptoms of dying trees. And like when you're planted yeah. by dry ground for so long, um, you begin to die. So, yeah. So I think it is, it's never been more, church planting has never been more important. The danger is our idea of church planting is still in that system of, mega world yeah yeah and so once once church planting gets divorced from bigger better faster huge etc church planting i believe is going to save the entire christian faith i really believe that and um let me let me just say this real quick um every 500 years in the church there is a major like like world changing shift in the church and you can trace this all the way back to the beginning. Well, 500 years ago was the Reformation, a little over 500 years now, um, with Martin Luther. And so it's it's time for a major death and resurrection experience in the church. I mean, like, just historically, it's time. 
And, um, yeah. and we're seeing that happen. Like we're, we're literally watching that happen. Most people are oblivious, but we're watching it happen before our eyes. And so we could say like, man, this is an awful thing. Or we could say what comes after death resurrection. Yeah. And yeah. so like yeah. we, we can play a part in what the resurrection looks like, just like Martin Luther did and all the reformers and Carl Bard and all these other guys, we can play a role in what the resurrection looks like, but like, we're just first going to have to die. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yep. And, and what that looks like is all the preconceived religion that I've brought to this, I need to let it fall to the ground and then let Jesus, let Rabbi Jesus, if you want to, lead me into still waters mm-hmm. and green paths and, or uh, green grass and, you know, let him lay me down in green pastures. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. um, anyway, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think, too, um, you know, and this kind of ties into the next question, but to kind of set it up, um, we talked, me and Daniel talked about in our last podcast, we were mentioning the, uh, you know, what was happening right now. I don't know if Asbury is still doing their thing at the time we're recording this. I think they are. Um, yeah, they are. And so, yeah, they've been, you know, doing, doing a lot of the same things that IHOP did when they started. And, you know, what's crazy is yesterday, uh, Damon Thompson's church is called the Homestead in uh, Mobile, Alabama. They posted something. They do like a a prayer group on on Tuesday morning. They just get together and pray, and it turned into something that was all day. They started at like nine a.m. and they didn't leave until like ten p.m. that night. And they're actually doing service tonight as a response to that. And so I say that to say, um, people are. It's becoming evident that people are realizing that. You know, this whole going to Sunday, checking the box, and, and just doing the normal church thing, uh, it really is uh, it's more religion than it is uh, actual yeah. genuine, genuine relationship. But yeah, people, are you referring are you referring to the um, going on Asbury this weekend? Uh, yeah, where they've been meeting like nonstop yeah. for the last few days. So, so I've been on I haven't been on social media since uh, December. So I'm oblivious to everything that's going on in the world, and um. And it's a great place to be. But um, but anyway, this morning, one of the professors was like, have you guys seen about what's going on in Asbury? And I know, obviously, a lot about Asbury just because, of, you know, I, a lot of people that we know have gone there. And um, so I was like, of course, my ears perked up when somebody used the word revival. And you know, so I was I was asking him and he was like, and essentially, what you said, they that after a chapel service, they because he's got a friend that teaches there. And he said after chapel, they uh, some students just stayed back to pray to honor honor what God had done in chapel. And that turned into them staying there all night. And then the next day, more students joined in. And then the next day, Sunday, more students joined in. And now it's just become like this, this huge thing. And, um, and I, I looked at him and I said, and it, I said it kind of, but then when I said it, you, you know, sometimes you say things and you're like, Oh man, that was way bigger than I thought it was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I said, man, if we, if we would just make space for God, he's ready to fill it. Yeah, for sure. And um, and as soon as I said that, it was convicting because then I start going back and I'm like, man, is there any space in our church that like we have neglected? Not that it works, but just like that we haven't enough, you know, for the for the presence of God. And um, so that's to come. But um, but anyway, but yeah, man, you're, you're exactly right. It's just it's. When you create that space, same with, you know, what's happening in Mobile, same what's happening in, in Reading. And, you know, I can't speak to a lot of other places because I haven't been on social media, but 
it's happening. That resurrection is happening. Yep. And uh, and man, like it's going to be beautiful. Like, in 20 years, I think we're going to look at the church and say we had no idea that after COVID, when everybody was leaving the church, that this is what God was doing. You know? Yeah, for sure. And and what what's funny is, um, well, Theos, you had obviously posted some memes about um how the wrong people may show up at this event and start trying to. Uh, they, they were more making a joke, saying like, "There's gonna be people who show up and try to like turn this into something that's more around the, like the system." The, like, you know, people were like, "Oh, well, this is the next Brownsville. Let's make sure that we throw in this, 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 and this, so that we get it as much publicity as possible." All this stuff, because one of the things I, I have absolutely loved about this Asbury thing is they are they are not they aren't putting this on social. The only reason that people know that it's happening is the people that are going to it. And they're live streaming from their phone or whatever. But like Asbury is not doing anything themselves to be like, hey guys, like here's what we're doing. Come check it out. Like trying to grow. It just it has been growing naturally just from them pursuing presence. Um, yeah. But what's funny is, is a friend of mine, I didn't even know it was my friend because Theos, you shared it on their story and like covered the name. But they said um, that there was people that actually have tried to show up and kind of take over the service and make it into this big system systematized thing. And they actually turned them away and said, like, we're not interested in that. We just want to pursue the presence. And whatever, like if whenever God tells us to leave, we'll leave, but we're not trying to make this into some big, huge system. We're, we're doing something different. And when I heard, when I heard about that, I was like, this is, that's how you know it's the real thing is because it's not people just oh, trying sure. to. Yeah. Yeah, and so I I just love that, and so I I, I think you kind of answered this question, but I'll let this is a really really broad question, um, so you can go whatever way you want to go with this, but from based off of what we see, um, you kind of answered this, but do you think that there is hope in the American church, and if so, what do you think that you know the churches that maybe are in the middle of this system, what what steps could they take if they somehow come across this podcast which you know we're still kind of growing but if they come across this what what steps or even for people who are currently going to some of these churches what steps do you think that they could take to start to bring you know this this sense of um i I hate to use the word revival now because it's been used so wrong but um this resurrection this new uh, but yet ancient thing that we're seeing now in some of these places, what could they do to steward that well or to bring it there if they don't currently have that level of presence and intimacy? Yeah. Um, the one thing, I mean, the secret place, like uh, I know it seems so simple because it is like, it wasn't supposed to be difficult, you know? Yeah. Um, but cause even as you're mentioning this, I, I just real quick, like, uh, Googled, um, the updates because literally like I haven't seen anything. So I feel like I'm like totally out of the loop. Um, but it, it just feels, it feels like um, a culmination of, cause it's not just us. Like it is, it's, it's not just us that have been in this place of, of presence. It's yeah. a lot of other people and most of them are hidden. And that's the whole point. You know what I mean? Like most of them we don't know about, yep. which is exactly like that. That's, that's the point. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you the the best way to cultivate revival revival is just to be revived, and um, it's for something dead to come back to life. That's that's literally uh, resurrection uh, is is a kind of word that goes hand in hand with it. But um, yeah, so I think if we as individuals 
could could experience revival for ourselves, suddenly that's going to begin to it's, – it's like if you have a big bowl in the center of a room and, uh, and 100 people come in the room, but they all have really big bowls that are full of water, and they all start to pour it in this one big bowl that's in the middle of the room, at some point – the big bowl is going to overflow, but the reason it's going to overflow is because everybody else was carrying a measure of water that when put together, it overflowed. And, um, and so much of the Christian you know, movement in the past, you know, 50 years maybe is based on like one superstar, you know, pastor or evangelist or minister. And everybody kind of lives vicariously through them, you know, and um, almost like we got to call in, you know, uh, we got to call in brother so-and-so to spark up revival around here. And <laughs> <Yeah>. it's like, <laughs> hey, brother so-and-so ain't got anything better than you and I got. And, uh, and, that's, right. and that's not even dishonor at all. That's not, that's not to say they don't care anything at all. They do. But it's, it's to raise up. We, we are priests of the Lord. We're not like not a handful of us anymore. We don't have a tribe of Levites anymore. It's all of us. Yeah, yeah. Our right. priests. And, um, and all of us are temples of the Holy Spirit. So I think when like all the believers begin to experience that for themselves, of course, like when you come together, it's going to combust. I mean, it just is. And that's probably what's happening at Asbury. Because here's the thing. Uh, a lot of what people see about Christianity is, is uh, you know, that the church is failing and people are leaving and blah, blah, blah. All these people that are deconstruct, the reason they're deconstructing is because they care. If they didn't yeah, care, yeah. who they they would be like, who cares? You know, what I mean? it's uh-huh. that they want Jesus so yeah. much that they're willing to sift through their entire belief system in order to find him. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. so so deconstructing deconstruction. Another word you could use is hunger. Yeah, and, sure. And so it's just like, and man, when you're hungry, same with space. When you're hungry the Lord satisfies. And, um, and right. so if I had to guess, like I said, I haven't seen this a lot, but I guarantee that's what ha- what's happening at Asbury, but we need to keep our eyes out because it's been a while since the last, you know, quote unquote, great awakening. It's time, like it's time for a resurrection to, uh, to begin to happen. And so, uh, so we might, we might be doing some spontaneous prayer services back home when I get there, but, <laughs> um, but anyway, so yeah, it's, it's really cool to see that. Yep. Sean Doe. Uh, so have <laughs> Sean a, Doe. <laughs> I just have uh, a few questions here. Uh, let me just say this for because these questions are more lighthearted. Uh, Joshua, I, I've enjoyed getting to uh, talk with you and ask these questions. I appreciate your uh, time. You've been so generous with it. Even though I've not really uh, met you, I feel like, I, like I said earlier, I feel like I've known you my entire life, just be, being best friends with Matt. Uh, but once again, man, just thank you so much for uh, being here with us and just for your heart for ministry, man. Yeah, thank you, guys. Uh, so the first question, and I'll be really honest with you, this question is near and dear to me <laughs> uh, because I have really seen the light. And so I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Um, and we're talking about the chicken sandwich, okay? Now, there are two place of businesses that sell chicken sandwiches that are pretty close and that being Popeye's and Chick-fil-A. And we're just talking about just the, the a regular chicken sandwich. If you had to choose Popeye's or Chick-fil-A, what would you choose? Uh, Chick-fil-A, mostly because I don't know if I've had a Popeye's chicken sandwich. 
I think I have, I think I've had one and there were tendons all through it. Like, you know, tendons, like when you bite into it and it's like a, it's, it's got that like chewy kind of hard piece, um, mm-hmm. stringy stuff running through it. Um, but Chick-fil-A, it's just the OG, you know, like it's, I would say Chick-fil-A. God's personal. chicken. Yep. Mm. You have the good yeah. thing and then you have the sinful thing. Popeye's sinful thing, Daniel. Mm. <laughs> now yeah. I will say though, I will say. I haven't had the Bojangles one, but I do love Bojangles with all my heart. So it might be better. Um, I'm not making any promises, but I love Bojangles enough. It might it might top it. I haven't had it yet, so we'll see. So uh, let me let me ask this, and I, I probably know the answer to this, um, but I'm interested to see uh, what your answer is. What is the most bizarre thing that you've encountered thus far, uh, just as a pastor? since you started dream like what is the the most bizarre and you don't have to give names or specifics oh, yeah. um unless you feel unless you want to i doubt anybody will listen to it that may be a part of these stories um but yeah what would you say the most bizarre thing you've seen so far is oh my lord um uh, well uh everything no i'm just kidding um <laughs> the um man okay so so the the most bizarre thing, um, how do I say this anonymously? Um, is we uh, man, this is this is a hard question. Um, so we've had a lot of people come in that claim to be prophets. If you so so for for me, if you tell me you're a prophet, a hundred percent of the time for me, you're not a prophet. Like you know what I'm saying? Um, any anybody that I know that is prophetic. They don't have to tell you they're prophetic. That's the yes. prof- you know, so, <laughs> we were just talking about this the other day too. Oh yeah, it's yeah. yeah. So we've had a couple of people, you know, only a handful come in, and the first is like, "Hey, my name's so and so. I'm a prophet," and I'm like, "Okay, no, you're not." And um, <laughs> so, but then of course they proceed to give me words, and they're just like, just not even close. Like one of them said, uh, I, she she said something to the effect of like, um. I just feel like the Lord's revealed to me that your and your wife's relationship is just really struggling. And I was like, now nah, we're, we're closer than we've ever been. Like that's literally not even close. <laughs> and, um, and so, and then, you know, the, and then of course there's the typical, like, you know, I just, the Lord just showed me like, you're, you're just, he's, he's bringing you into your best season. And I'm like, okay, like, how do you, that's, you know, that's, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, you know yeah, awesome, but okay. And um, so the, I think the prophetic stuff is is what's been the most bizarre, and it stinks because like when you're legitimately experiencing the prophetic, it's life changing. Yeah, yeah. But it's sure, but absolutely. it's like, but it's the it's the 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 crazy ones that do crazy things in the name of the prophetic <laughs> that ruin it for everybody. You know, absolutely. that's probably the most bizarre. Of course, like we've had some situations uh, with uh, people coming in that have been borderline you know uh, racist and stuff like that which is obviously always bizarre but that's yeah. more sad than bizarre um the prophetic stuff definitely <laughs> definitely bizarre so that would have yeah. to be it yeah but there's a lot of them yeah i'll, sure. I'll say yeah. before you ask the last question daniel sorry i don't mean to cut you off but that reminds me of a, a funny story of uh of someone i won't even say when this happened because i don't want it to be obvious but i had someone who uh, they saw a bumblebee fly by my face, and they said, "I feel like this is a sign that the devil's trying to do some work to you." And I'm like, 
we cause the bumblebee? They're like, yeah, because bumblebees represent witchcraft. And I was like, okay. And so <laughs> that was, I will never forget that because every time I see a bumblebee now, I think that's the first thing I go to, but not in like a, I take it serious way, but in a, this is the dumbest thing I ever heard kind of way. So funny, Man. like, like scientists believe, most of them believe the bumblebee is one of the most important animals in all of the ecosystem. And so, in other words, yeah. so they say like, literally they're like, if animal, if, if bees were to disappear, the earth would literally like everyone would die in like 20 years. So it's yeah. like, oh, man, the devil's really life giving, you know? So yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He likes being needed. Right. He's very, he's very yeah. needy, exactly. uh, man. Well, so last question. And, um, this one, you know, I might judge you for your answer. I might not. There's, there's, there's some really good answers and some, there's some really bad answers to this one. So <laughs> the question is, what is your favorite sports movie? Man, I love sports movies. Um, so remember the Titans would be number one for me. Because okay. uh, yeah, I love football and I love Denzel Washington. So good combo. Yeah. But then honorable mentions, uh, like Mike, I love. Mm, talking about that the other throwback. night. Yeah, I love yeah. like Mike. Um, uh, I, Miracle's okay. Um, I just I'm not a big hockey fan, so you know it's, it's all right. But um, yeah, I, I think those are probably the two the two ones that stick out when I think of sports movies. Is uh, Remember the Titans, of course, and then uh, Like Mike. I probably when I was a kid. I mean, me and Matt both we we probably watched Like Mike a, a billion times. <laughs> yeah, I mean. It was amazing. So, yeah, those are. And they those came are out with the second out. one, and it was all downhill from there. Yeah, the streetball one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I totally agree. Well, and the soundtrack for Like Bike was lit, dude. Oh, my yeah. God. Like, I, <laughs> I, so I still good. play it. I still play it, like, to this day. Uh, my my follow up question Have you guys seen McFarlane USA? It's like a Disney movie. Uh, about these that, no. people it's it's like this uh town in texas kind of like a, like a poor town and they have this um like track team that they take to like state it's it's really inspirational so if you've not seen it it's on disney plus and would highly recommend it kevin costner i think is the the lead actor in it so hmm. yeah what's your so what is your favorite daniel your favorite sports movie uh, I'm right there with uh, Remember the Titans uh and honestly I would say number 2 would probably be McFarlane USA um okay. and <laughs> number 3 would be Bad News Bears. Oh man, <laughs> I remember that. So funny. Dude. Hey, so I forgot would not recommend point. it but would Space Jam be considered a sports movie? I think it yeah, would, right? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. So, okay, I take back my answer. Space Jam would be number 1. Remember the Titans number two, and then like Mike, I totally forgot about Space okay. Jam. So I'm assuming yeah, I, you mean I the OG that. Space Jam and not oh, yeah, the not LeBron the James one. Yeah, man, LeJean Brames. Yeah, I think I think my favorite one is definitely. Well, I, I think it's hard to beat Remember the Titans. Um, but I think I don't know if you guys ever watched Glory Road, the basketball movie. Oh, uh, yeah. the guy that one. took Texas Southern. I love that's one of my favorites just because uh, in the end they beat Kentucky. So all the Kentucky fans <laughs> probably hate that movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, and, but, and they uh, make uh, Rupp to be out to be like a racist, too. Which yeah, I, I they, they make Rupp to be. <laughs> so everyone like I remember when that movie was out, people were like, man, they should change the name of Rupp Arena because, man, that guy is horrible. <laughs> uh, which who knows? I don't even know Rupp Arena. I don't know Rupp um, himself. So I, who knows? Um, yeah. But. Anyways, that's 
that's all that we – I mean, I wish that we could continue this conversation for another three hours because uh, I know that we probably could ask you know a bunch more questions. But for the sake of the listener that has the attention span uh, like us, probably not very high, which, you know, I'm, I'm like Josh. I could listen – I'm the kind of person that listens to like a two- or three-hour message just because I, I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, but knowing that most of our audience is like young adult youth age, then there's a good chance that they're like, I've probably already tuned out. They are, as soon as I started mentioning sports movies, I was gone. Because um, they, they probably haven't heard any of these. But anyways, uh, like Daniel, uh, thank you, Josh, so much for, for sharing your heart. Um, this has been super beneficial even for me because there's been a lot of stuff that um, I, I know for me. And again, I know I'm super biased because you're my brother, but. Uh, just seeing how the Lord has used you has been a super huge blessing. And I, I know I wouldn't be where I am. And I, I'm sure everybody at Dream who's listening to this is echoing this too. Uh, we wouldn't be where we are without uh, your leadership in in pursuing the, the, the one thing that actually matters, and that's the presence. And so thank you so much. And um, to anybody else who, uh, who may come across this that maybe you haven't heard of any of us, uh, we have all the information down below. Uh, check out our other episodes too if you haven't um i know that uh some people this may be the first one that you're listening to mostly because you know josh or or whatever but check out our other ones we have some other cool ones as well we've done some other interviews with some other people we'll also link every book and resource that was mentioned in this in the show notes um i know in the on the incarnation was mentioned um and then we'll link he, he mentioned some teachers and stuff earlier that we'll link some of their stuff as well Uh, But anyways, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you guys in the next one. Altered Nation out.